Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to You've Got Five Pages to Tell Me It's Good, where I grab a new release from my local library to find out if the book can indeed, in five pages, tell me it's good. And this one, this one's definitely different <laughs> from the previous week of a contemporary Western mystery. We are now in sci-fi adult romance mode. And there's a trigger warning. There's an actual trigger warning in the book. So we'll we'll see how this goes. Uh, the book is Starbringer by Tracy Wolf and Nina Croft. I mean, it certainly looks fancy pants, and I do appreciate the unique um, voice being used to narrate. Uh, you know, utilizing cussing words and all of that oh my um it is quote unquote snarky <laughs> as the blurb puts it firefly meets the breakfast club in this snarky new adult romance i i was a little speechless not gonna lie i wasn't sure like what on earth do i make of this and i ha I, I cannot help but read the trigger warning for all of you. I mean, I want to note Tracy Wolf and Nina Croft both clearly have done a lot of romance writing. And I do appreciate, you know, taking it into, a, you know, a new genre then, like putting that work into a sci-fi set setting. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It obviously can be a lot of fun. I mean, they clearly enjoyed themselves with the size of this book, my goodness. Uh, so, you know, that's absolutely fine nothing wrong with that. So I just want to be clear that, you know, just because you write sci-fi doesn't mean you're not allowed to write romance then. That's silly. Even if it gets graphic, I mean, that's your choice as an adult writer, so long as it's made clear it's for an adult reader, not, you know, a kid. So that's why, you know, I, I appreciate the trigger warning they put before chapter one, because they do want to make sure folks have a heads up of what they're getting into that's fair i just i've never really seen so much covered in a trigger warning quite like this here we go with the trigger warning starbringer is a thrilling sci-fi adventure romance with a heart-stopping twist however the story includes elements that might not be suitable for all readers graphic violence graphic language shootouts hand-to-hand -hand combat perilous situations blood human trafficking suicide imprisonment gunshot wounds death human experiments bombings alcohol use and sexual activity are shown on the page readers who may be sensitive to these elements please take note and prepare to join the ragtag crew of the starlight so part of me wonders how much of that was like a genuine we want to warn you versus hey look at all the cool things we have in here because i feel like this trigger warning could go both ways like any given movie trailer that's trying to show all the different elements inside a single film it it, def it, it definitely threw me that's why i grabbed this i'm like what we have to clarify all these things are here oh well, and the cover is gorgeous, too. I'm not going to lie about that. It's a beautiful cover. And I do like the little um, quip at the bottom of the title on the cover, too. How much space does one princess need? Because it does make me wonder, okay, are we? is there a focus on a princess? It sounds like it's quite the ensemble here. 
Just like Breakfast Club was definitely an ensemble film. Um, and Firefly, very much an ensemble show. So we'll see. Uh, we are working with specific points of view, which honestly bums me out slightly because I did like the voice on these um, on the dust jackets with the blurbs describing what's happening. I was kind of hoping that's the voice that's going to tell the story, but alas. And I know I haven't even started reading the chapter yet, but I guess one thing that makes me worried about having first-person perspective head-hopping going on, there are seven characters involved in this on this ship. Seven. And so seeing that we start with one single character's point of view here, I'm worried that, does this mean we're going to end up with seven different narrators? I hope not, because that's a lot. I mean, to try and differentiate seven different voices distinctively, especially when there's two writers involved, I, I'm hoping that's not the case. We're not going to get far enough to find that out, but just it's it's something to be aware of as a writer. Like, how many distinctive voices are you going to try and make? Because I've seen writers who struggle just to write two different voices, and I it, it then it just becomes a mess for your uh, for your reader to try and muck their way through. Let's not do that. So we'll see. Well, at least if you choose to read this, you'll find out if there are seven different voices or not. So far, let's just deal with this first chapter and this first voice. Kalinda, Crown Princess of the Nine Planets. That's it. Your privileges as companion-in-waiting have been officially revoked. Lara lays out the giant purple monstrosity she's selected for me to wear undeterred but I see the tiniest hint of a grin start to slip onto her lips. And what privileges would those be, your highness? You don't think you've got privileges? I send her an arch look from where I'm sitting on the bed, but she's already returned to smoothing out my dress. So ungrateful. One of the best parts of having your best friend also be your companion in waiting is that you can give her shit. Sure, Laura tends to stick to propriety even when it's just the two of us, but our best moments are when I can get her veneer of decorum to crack. And the full-on grin she's giving me now warms me up from the inside out. Of course, when your best friend is also your companion in waiting, she can talk you into doing shit you don't want to do. Like wearing giant purple dresses that make you look like a Kredakin desert slog with a nasty case of space pox. If by privileges you mean the honor of waking up before five every morning, then may the ancients bless you for the honor. Lara continues unbuttoning the ugliest dress in existence before retrieving an actual thing. The comms beep. Lara and I exchange a look and I sigh heavily. Only one person would be calling the comms link right now and her title begins with E and ends with double S. Lucky me. What does she want now? I mutter as I slide into the seat in front of the screen. Or more accurately, try to slide. The dress makes it impossible, so I end up moving the chair aside and just standing. To wish you luck, I'm sure. Lara's answer is circumspect. Exactly how a companion-in-waiting should answer. Her expression, however, falls for a second into total annoyance. I snicker as I answer the call. 
The Empress narrows her eyes on me from the view screen. I hope you don't plan on laughing like that when you get off the ship, Kalinda. What is it I always tell you? A royal's mask never falters, I recite for the millionth time. That's right. I know you have this, Kalinda. She sends me a smile that, for just a second, actually appears indulgent. But then naturally she follows it up with, Don't make me regret sending you off planet. Do I need to go over how important this is? I mentally roll my eyes. I know how important it is, Mother. And I've wanted to come aboard the Calestis... Calestis, however that's pronounced, since before she became operational. I promise I won't embarrass you or the Empire. See that you don't! Also, make sure Ambassador Holdren doesn't get you alone. He has an agenda that doesn't coincide with ours, and I don't want you making any promises to him. And avoid the delegate from Galacia! From Glacia. Yeah. From what I understand, he tends toward inappropriate conversation, and I would prefer to avoid any more unfortunate incidents. She gives me a look that I know is supposed to shame me, but I stand behind my decision to push Counselor Salamani into my mother's verbosnia bushes. Well, except for the fact that my hands had to actually come in contact with him to do it. On the plus side, he hasn't said a single thing about my breasts since. <sighs> okay. <laughs> All right, that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, so, I mean, so far we do clearly have a sense of character with this princess's point of uh, view, uh, her voice in narrating. So I dig that. Uh, we're clipping right along with the scene. We're not getting a ton of exposition dump. The dialogue is establishing what's going on. Clearly, there are stakes. We're not entirely clear what those stakes are yet, but for goodness sakes, we're barely into the first chapter. That's okay. We just know something important's got to get done. All right. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Uh, and I appreciate we have a, a pretty good sense of connection between our two characters who are physically present together and the conflict then between parent and child, very timeless, uh, timeless conflict there. So something relatable, even though we're not all empresses and princesses in outer space. So, so far this is working. Okay. Um, let's get back to it here. A knock sounds on the door. Sorry, mother, but Eric is here. I have to go. He'll wait until our conversation is through, I assure you. But she relents. Don't overpromise. Don't ask too many questions. Don't forget the Imperial face and you'll do great. As if I could ever forget the Imperial face. Don't smile, don't frown, look interested but bored at the same time. All without actually moving a facial muscle. She's had me practicing since I was five. I won't. Thank you for this opportunity, mother. I sign off before she can say anything else. I'm nervous enough already without any more of her awesome pep talk. We're so lucky to have her, Lara says. Again, totally circumspect, but also totally not. There's another knock. Coming, Eric, I call. Lara opens the door for me, then steps back to let me precede her into the main section of the pod, which is about half the size of the royal quarters I was just in. I'm sorry to rush you, your highness, Eric says with a respectful bow of his head. His green eyes glow with amusement. 
Not at all, I tell him. I was just speaking with the Empress. He gives me a sympathetic wink. Like Lara, he's been with me all my life and was a friend of my father's. I trust him implicitly. My other bodyguard, Vance, is a new member of my entourage, and I'm pretty sure he's reporting to my mother. I'd trust him with my life, but not my secrets. If I had any. A sudden sharp beeping splits the air. I jump and both Eric and Vance look concerned. I mentally roll my eyes again. That's a little old. Okay. Like they're the only ones who are allowed to be a little on edge? This is my first time representing the Empire. Surely I'm allowed a few nerves. I'll be fine once I'm out there. The pilot must have noticed my reaction because he smiles at me before continuing to press a bunch of buttons that all look exactly the same to me. It's just the final system check indicator, your highness, he says. We're cleared to disembark. Thank you. Lara reaches a comforting hand toward me, then stops at the last second. From now on, we're on strict royal protocols, and a person doesn't just reach out in public and touch a princess of the Sinestris system, even if that person happens to dress that same princess every day. Just another of my mom's bizarre rules, and I add it to my mental list of things to change when I'm empress. I take another deep breath and give Lara my cockiest, I've got this smile. She returns it with a little head tilt that tells me to get moving. But as the shuttle's disembarkment ramp extends, my stomach flips with nerves. I ignore it and focus on my job instead. Toe the line, deliver the message, don't shame the empire. I straighten my spine and settle my best regal I'm so bored look on my face, then turn to Laura, Laura for an inspection. She looks concerned. Okay, less grimace, more grin then. Got it. Ready? She asks. More than, I answer. I'm ready to step onto the ramp, but Vance and Eric beat me to it. One quiet look from Vance's steel gray eyes has me standing down despite the impatience gurgling inside of me. It's his job to make sure no one gets a clear shot at me, except, of course, the Empress. While I wait, I study the docking bay further, a huge cavernous room with silver walls and a curved ceiling high above us. It's crowded with sleek and shiny shuttles of various designs. They all look new and impressive, even the patched ones, like every delegate is determined to put their best foot forward. Then my gaze snags on something that doesn't quite fit in. It's dry docked in the far corner of the bay. I presume it's a ship much bigger than the shuttles, but it's hard to tell anything else as it's covered by some sort of dark cloth. To protect it or to hide it? I love a mystery and I itch to head over there and take a peek, but at that moment, Eric gives the all clear from below and we're ready for business. My heart rate jumps. I'm trying to be cool, but this is a huge deal, and not just for me. Because the reason we're here is to find out exactly where the oh-so-brilliant Dr. Ver Veragolin is with her very important and very expensive research. Is the massive amount of money poured into this research station going to save us all from a fiery and very imminent death? Or, to put it frankly, are we all going to die? And that's the end of the chapter. <clears throat> it's It's an... I'll, I'll say it. That's a great setup. Uh, we have a sense of personality from this particular character, even though we know she's a part of an ensemble. Though if she were the lead, I think people would probably be pretty cool with that too. Um, we also have a sense of urgency. Now we understand why the Empress was harping on her daughter so much in this mission, because there is 
there there's lives on the line as far as this empire goes something very bad is going to happen unless they can find out some help or research from this mysterious doctor um so great establishment uh i do wish and maybe this is just partly because i have been raised on sci-fi stuff star trek doctor who star wars etc and so part of me feels a little bit like this i don't know if they're actually going to pay much attention to sci-fi world building here i understand a princess isn't going to know what all the buttons mean on a ship so i understand her little like throwaway detail there about the pilot pushing a bunch of buttons i appreciate that but i really do hope because i'll i may dig a little further into this i just i really do hope that there's some time taken if you're gonna write a sci-fi novel put the effort into building a sci-fi world just don't use vague terminology like you know of ships and buttons just let's let's have a little science here uh so that is my one concern at this point otherwise this sounds very promising and i suppose for those who are familiar with tracy wolf and nina croft they're there for the romance so maybe the world building is not going to be their highest priority okay i respect that I just feel that as a writer, if you're going to go into a certain genre, be prepared for the work that genre is going to ask of you. And sci-fi does require some serious world building work. So we'll see. Maybe it'll pull that off. I don't know. Maybe you'll want to check that out because again, that was a very promising first chapter. And we'll see what I find next week if we continue in sci-fi or go elsewhere. So until then, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers.